This episode of the Supply Chain Brain podcast is supported by Purolator International, the leading expert on logistics and shipping between the U.S. and Canada. Be sure and stick around after the discussion for a look at the company and what it offers to customers. But now, on to the podcast. U.S.-Mexico-Canada trade agreement supplants NAFTA as the treaty governing trade and shipping between the U.S. and Canada. So how does it differ from its predecessor? Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Editor-in-Chief of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. After several years of dickering, the U.S., Canada, and Mexico finally agreed on a replacement for the North American Trade Agreement. So just what is this new USMCA? Is it just NAFTA with a new name? Or does it alter the cross-border landscape in some key ways? To talk about the new agreement's impact on U.S.-Canada shipping, I'm joined today by Chris Antonelli, District Manager West with Purolator. We'll delve into the details of USMCA, as well as explore the ins and outs of shipping across the 49th parallel. While the U.S. and Canada share many attributes when it comes to logistics requirements, it would be a mistake to overlook some key differences. So here is my conversation with Chris Antonelli. Chris Antonelli, welcome to the show. Thank you. Great to be here. I want to talk about the new USMCA, the United States-Mexico-Canada agreement that replaced NAFTA. First of all, what do you see as the major differences between this new trade pact and the old one with regard to shipping between the U.S. and Canada? Yeah, there's a number of differences. They largely left the base of NAFTA and all of its good points in the agreement, but really updated some things outside of transportation, like technology. Back in 1993, when NAFTA was first written, there was not a lot of e-commerce or technical protection against, there wasn't a need for the technical protection against uh, the pirating. So a lot of those great things that were put into the new agreement, but as it relates to Canada and specifically our industry, a lot of really great things have come into place. The increasing of the de minimis levels for tax and duty benefits uh, is really the largest benefit that we'll see coming out of this. Let's just quickly describe what you mean by de minimis levels. Those are the minimum levels for not having to pay taxes and duties. Is that correct? Yeah, that's exactly what it means. Prior to, well, I guess under NAFTA and what exists today, the de minimis for shipments entering into Canada is $20, and that was doubled up to $40, meaning tax-free importation. The term de minimis means not relevant. So Canada probably would spend more money trying to collect taxes on such low-value shipments. So that's a huge benefit. Doubling the de minimis allows for importation of individual shipments without uh, taxes. And then the threshold for duty-free eligibility is $150, so that's another benefit as well. So this impacts a lot of B2C shippers who are importing to individual consignees in Canada. So it's a big benefit for a lot of companies who play in that space. So far, everything you've described sounds positive. 
compared with NAFTA. Are there any negative or any concerns that arise from this new agreement that weren't present under NAFTA? When you negotiate deals like this, each country negotiates for their benefit. So, for example, the de minimis value uh, for entering into the U.S. is $800 versus the $40 I just described for Canada. So there's a little bit of an imbalance there. And I know that retailers in Canada were relieved to hear that the value is $40 and $150 because it really protects the retail environment in Canada and, and any retailers that are selling goods within Canada. So that's a benefit, but for the e-com shippers, I think they would have wished that the de minimis value was raised even higher. So probably that's the biggest discrepancy is the $800 versus the $40. And I would assume that's probably the biggest change between 30 years ago and now is just the enormous amount of e-commerce flowing between the two countries. Does this facilitate and recognize that boom in commerce and make it easier to achieve such shipments? Yeah, for sure. It it certainly addresses that as companies continue to offer free shipping based on cart value size. It allows for to be more competitive in the e-com space for those companies. So by raising that and, and allowing for the taxes and the duty-free to be waived certainly makes U.S. companies more competitive while, when selling to consignees in Canada. These days also with e-commerce, everyone is obsessed with the notion of visibility, that buyers of products over the Internet demand to know where their products are, when they're going to arrive, and, and that kind of stuff. I am wondering what is the situation there with regard to visibility of cross-border freight and cross-border packages now? Is it pretty good or are there still some gaps to be addressed? Yeah, it depends on the provider. For Pure Lighter, our business is U.S. to Canada here in the U.S. That's obviously something that we addressed early on. And one of the first requirements from all of our customers is visibility piece. The border is there and working with a good customs broker is, is pretty critical in, in helping the goods clear timely, ensuring the information sent to Canada Customs for clearance even before the truck departs the facility. So that's kind of the key to it. But also the visibility piece, as you mentioned, for our customers, it's almost treated as a, a domestic U.S. shipment. The, the tracking number is applied. That information is sent to a website and almost immediately the customer has visibility from pickup crossing the border and, and into Canada and, and ultimately to the customer. So it's it's a huge deal for us, and we feel we've addressed it quite nicely. Huge deal for you, but of course, in the world of e-commerce, it is the retailer that gets blamed when something doesn't show up on time or something gets lost. Nobody goes back and says, oh, it's the fault of the carrier. The retailer takes the hit and may lose customers as a result, so it seems essential that it be pretty much as good over the border as it is domestically, right? It's important to provide consistent service, right? And Canadians understand that it may take a little longer knowing that they're ordering from a, a U.S. e-com retailer. Providing that consistent service, if it's a two-day delivery or if it's a three-day delivery, as long as you're hitting those uh, metrics consistently, then we find that the customers can advise their customers even on their website. Rather than give the 7 to 14 day, it'll get there when it gets there term, we can provide our customers with exact transit times and allow them to set the right expectations with their customers. What is the situation at the border right now? I know this doesn't necessarily affect freight moving across it, but the border between the U.S. and Canada is essentially or almost or absolutely shut down for travel right now. Is that in any way affecting the movement of packages? 
It's not impacting commercial traffic. And in fact, the shutdown is mostly for passengers crossing the border, individuals. So what we're seeing is actually an improved experience at the border with our trucks and most other companies as well. The commercial traffic is flowing quite nicely, and there aren't as many backups at the border prior to COVID-19. So we're, we're finding that it's actually helping us and has improved our ability to cross the border. Yeah, certainly less congestion. Definitely. Sure. I'm sure that's the situation. Things are different in Canada just generally in terms of serving that country versus serving the United States. You have a gigantic country with a relatively small population clustered in just a few urban centers, and then you have the challenge of reaching very remote outlying areas. Talk a little bit about what are the major challenges of serving Canada especially for shipments from the United States? One is the border and, again, getting a good customs broker to help with that customs clearance and ensure that that goes smoothly is is really critical. And yes, Canada is a large country and selecting a service provider that has national coverage is is pretty critical. As you mentioned, the cluster of people are in the Toronto, Montreal, and then there's a huge gap before you get to Western Canada. Calgary, Edmonton, Vancouver are the other major markets as well. So having that strong presence in those markets is critical, but also being able to serve those rural locations, which is certainly more of a challenge than a Toronto or a Montreal area. So people who live in those areas understand that they live in remote locations and are usually a little bit more patient and understanding it may take a a little bit longer to get that delivery. As long as we understand that and and set the correct expectation for the shipper in the U.S., that helps ease that issue. What about the respective customs policies of the two countries? Is it equally easy to move stuff north as it is south? Yeah, the U.S. and Canada have traditionally worked really well on both sides of the border with understanding the potential challenges of dealing with customs. And so the the two agencies work pretty closely. And and typically when one puts an initiative, there's discussion between the two. And shortly thereafter, the other typically follows. There's an initiative recently put in place called the Single Window Initiative, which allows for kind of one transmission of a customs file to help clear all goods and dealing with any other departmental agencies within the customs organization. So, for example, the FDA and Health Canada, allowing one file transmission. Previous to the single window initiative, you had to file your your customs transmission with your broker into Canada Customs, but also get approval from these other government agencies. And sometimes that slowed down the customs clearance. Now it's one transmission and, and the departments are working closely together to allow for good commercial clearances. Yeah, it's my understanding that in the United States, single window gets you one filing that goes out to something like 48 separate agencies? Is that a similar situation in in Canada? And were the two single window initiatives implemented simultaneously? They were. Typically, for our customers, we're working with three or four. There are other government agencies that cover other areas, but for our customers and for commercial traffic, it's typically three or four that we had worked with before. So it does certainly help kind of minimize the administrative red tape that you have to go through. What would you describe if, in fact, you can identify a single biggest obstacle or challenge that is present in shipping between the U.S. and Canada? What might that be? Yeah, I think it's ensuring that customs clearance is set up and that the data that we're using to clear goods is accurate. What we find with a lot of our customers in the U.S., they set up harmonized tariff codes as part of the transmission to go to to Canada Customs. And a lot of customers make the mistake of assuming that the 
HTS codes are the same for Canada and the U.S. So we have to coach our customers, and, and again, a good customs worker will help you with this, to understand the differences. It's a 10-digit code, and the first six digits are common across the world, but the last four are specific to each country. So just ensuring that an understanding of that and again, working with your broker to find the same product, two different codes, and ensuring that the, the Canadian code is used as opposed to the U.S. code. If not, then that causes issues at the border and slows things down, causes reentry. So a lot of extra work that goes into it if it's not done correctly. The coronavirus pandemic has, of course, affected countries all over the world, including the U.S. and Canada, and it has triggered what we now fear is going to be a very serious and very deep economic recession as to how long it's going to last. Nobody knows, but we are headed into some turbulent waters on that front. How do you think that will affect the ability going forward of shipping between the U.S. and Canada with regard to available capacity, if, if, if companies, if providers go out of business, if they're unable to support such movements going forward? Do you have any concerns about that in the long run? Yeah, I guess even before COVID, there's always been a concern about capacity, especially with trucking companies. The job of a truck driver isn't as a glamorous one. And even before COVID, we saw capacity challenges. And really, it was a pretty big concern in our industry. And I think that I know that's going to impact going forward knowing that some of the smaller companies may close their doors and that'll impact our industry kind of upstream. But you don't see any permanent distribution pattern changes at all? You think that we'll continue to see? There are changes we see in the size of distribution centers being located in urban centers and for reasons that have nothing to do necessarily with the economic situation now. But do you see any changes in the supply chain with regard to where distribution is happening, the size of distribution centers, where you have to route things in order to get from point A to point B? Are there any big changes coming down the pike that you that you can see? Yeah, it's tough to forecast in this environment. I don't really see any change in that regard. Flexibility is key, and being able to shift based on the situation and on demand uh, is pretty critical to keeping the supply chain going. So I, long term, I, I really don't see a ton of challenge in terms of shifts in where distribution centers are, for example. So you may see if a U.S entity has two distribution centers in the U.S. to kind of cover east and west, and one of those or both cover the distribution in Canada. I think that's kind of more of a natural progression. A company may have two facilities in the U.S., and they have a facility in Toronto, for example, to cover Canada. You may see a removal of a facility in Toronto, for example, and ship out of the U.S. So that's been happening over the last 15, 20 years anyways, but you may see an uptick in that in the near future. Chris, tell me about the history of Purolator. Purolator now is, is 60 years in the business, mainly uh, in Canada. We're the most recognized brand in Canada. So when customers choose to use Purolator, they're typically working with a company that has expertise in Canada. Our U.S. division, we're Purolator International. We're a wholly owned subsidiary of Purolator Inc. So our business in the U.S. is to work with customers in the U.S. to distribute their product to Canada. We've got 30 gateways across the country, uh, pretty much in every major market that you would think of working with medium to large size companies to help them with smooth transition into Canada and delivery throughout Canada. In those decades of existence, how has Purolator changed in terms of its service offering and adjusting to 
the types of services that are required. In the beginning years, PureLater was known, and up until probably the last 15 years, pretty much a business-to-business type delivery company. And obviously, with the onset of e-com, our focus has shifted to help do deliveries at home, which is a different type of delivery for our company. But we've adjusted quite nicely. Also, uh, PureLater is owned by Canada Post. So Canada Post has a further touch point to help us deliver to rural communities. We've got a product that we call Puro Post. That's a, a good mix of kind of speed and the bells and whistles of a courier delivery, including visibility, but handoff to Canada Post for the final mile delivery uh, to deliver to P.O. boxes, to deliver to the community mailboxes, and to deliver to the rural areas. So our B2C business has grown, and with COVID, it has taken it to another level where both PureLater Courier and Canada Post have kind of stepped up to the challenge to do that home delivery, which is now more critical than ever. How has PureLater embraced technology over the years? We mentioned it earlier, the fact that visibility is not a nice-to-have, it's a must-have. So the technology behind that, especially if we've got two different types of products, and we actually also have an LTL service as well, which is a very similar experience as our courier and our our Canada Post service. So allowing the technology to, first of all, help with the customs clearance. Back in the day, commercial invoices and Canada customs invoices were kind of the norm, and it was print the paper, give it to the driver, the driver presents it at the border. Now everything is done electronically as demanded by our customs agencies. So that's a good thing because it helps smooth the transmission and it helps ease the the transmission of the customs data to the broker. Again, on the visibility piece, that's critical and that's a must-have. So we have got to keep up with all of the latest technologies. We're going down the path of kind of providing that Uber experience where we send a truck into a major urban center full of packages and allow for notification on a customer's cell phone to uh, understand where that truck is and when it's going to be in their area so they can come down from their apartment building and go pick up their package as opposed to having the driver get out of his truck and go into the building. So allowing that kind of ease of receipt of the goods is, is something I think that we've experimented in Canada and now we've kind of rolled it out over the last couple of years, mostly during Christmas time, but I think now it's going to be rolled out even further to help with the convenience uh, for the customer. Certainly does seem like that might be the future of this business. Chris Antonelli, thank you so much for being with us to talk about the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement, how it differs from NAFTA, the whole landscape of shipping between the U.S. and Canada, and also a little bit about Purolator itself. Thank you very much for being with us today. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. That was my conversation with Chris Antonelli of Purolator, talking about the new U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement. Our thanks to Purolator for sponsoring this episode. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming and downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. Stay well, and see you next time.